Welcome to the weekly message from Albert Park Baptist Church, a community of believers seeking to love God, love one another and love our neighbourhood right in the heart of Melbourne. We hope you find today's message inspiring. One of the last things that my pop said to me before he passed away almost a fortnight ago was, Cam, trust God and he can do incredible things. Now, as we look at our passage for today, that truth is self-evident. In these passages, we have four miracles that we're going to talk about, four times that Jesus does what we believe to be impossible. And so this morning, I've entitled this message, Fear or Faith? Fear or Faith? And I've given it that title specifically because In each of these four examples, we see a comparison between those who have fear and those who have faith. Between those who have fear, and that word fear that's used is phobos, and it's where we get the idea of phobia. Think of um, arachnophobia, I'm afraid of spiders. Well, in this today, we see a phobos, a fear. And it's a fear sometimes of death, sometimes of of Jesus, sometimes it's just a fear of the unknown or the uncontrollable. And so as we enter today, we're looking at those two things, trusting God and watching him do incredible things and fear. And as we'll see in a minute, my pop was right. That faith leads to incredible things. Does it mean it's going to lead to incredible things every time? No. But more often than not, as we trust in God, God does the impossible. So let's walk through these passages together and, and then we'll go from there. So this is Luke 8, verse 22 to verse 56. And this is the first miracle account. It says this. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. Now, one thing that's really important to note here is that at least four out of the 12 disciples that were traveling with Jesus on the boat were professional fishermen. They would have fished on this lake thousands of times. And so they would have seen everything. They are professionals. It's their family business before they started following Jesus. And so Jesus feels very assured of their ability to do this. And so he just goes and has a sleep. And then what happens? A squall came down on the lake. So the boat was being swamped. What does that mean? Well, it means huge winds are coming on this lake. And there's water getting in the boat. And, and, and we read here at the end of verse 23, they were in great danger. Danger of what? Of drowning, of, of the boat submerging. They were in all sorts of trouble. Again, here is four professional fishermen on this boat. And Jesus over here, sleeping. And the disciples went and woke Jesus. 
this professional fisherman, a Waikiki guy who wasn't a professional fisherman. And they said, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Or if you want to paraphrase that, Master, Master, it's inevitable. We're done for. This is it. There's no hope. We are going to drown. It's almost like they're just giving him information rather than asking him anything. And Jesus got up and he rebuked the waves and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. What was inevitable to the disciples, Jesus blew away with a word. Pretty incredible stuff. But look at Jesus' question to the disciples here in verse 25. He questions their faith. Where is your faith? Where is your trust? You know, where is your hope in me? Where's your belief that I can do incredible things? You said we're doomed and you were just letting me know. And yet you've seen enough of me and what I can do to know that I can be trusted to do incredible things. And I just showed you that. So, guys, where's your faith? And it's interesting their response to that. It says in fear, and that's that word phobos, it's the phobia, in phobia and amazement, they asked each other, who, who is this? Who is this guy named Jesus? You know, even the winds and the water are commanded by him and they obey him. Who is Jesus? Literally the wind and the waters, they're listening attentively for his call. Is Jesus calling? I'm answering. You know, they're, they're heeding or conforming to a command or authority that Jesus has authority over the wind and over the waves. And the disciples are, are fearful of that. This is out of our control. Jesus is out of our control. We can't manipulate but he is in control of the wind and the waves. What we thought was inevitable, Jesus showed was not impossible. That's miracle number one. Miracle number two, a bit longer. So they're in the boat and they sail to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. So they've got across the lake now. Verse 27, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. And for a long time, this man had not worn clothes. He was really news. Nor had he lived in a house, but he lived in the tombs. So he was living in amongst the cemeteries and in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out. And here's an interesting word. He fell at Jesus' feet. There's a, there's a sense of begging here, petitioning here. And he shouted at the top of his lungs, what do you want with me, Jesus Son of the Most High God. Now that's an allusion back to, if you remember at the start of Luke, where Mary is given a message from the angel, the angel says, your son will be the son of the Most High God. And here he's begging. We see, I beg you, don't torture me. What's Jesus doing? Is he torturing him? No. Well, Jesus is kind of telling the impure spirit to get out of there, to stop torturing the man. 
because many times it had ceased him, we read. And though this man was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he'd broken his chains and been driven in, into solitary places by this demon. There's a sense that though he was unclothed and though he had no place to live, that this demon, that this impure spirit in him was leading him to be by himself, outside of a loving community. And Jesus was, was starting to say, get out. And Jesus asked him, you know, what's your name? And he said, Legion. My name's Legion. Because many demons had gone into him. And it's interesting again. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to let them go down into what is called the abyss. And the abyss is, is that place of eternal judgment. So there's a sense of this demon-possessed man and the demons within it understand that Jesus has the power and authority to get rid of them into eternal judgment. We read that a large crowd of pigs was feeding on a hillside nearby. And the demons begged Jesus. Again, they're petitioning Jesus to let them go into the pigs. And one of the most fascinating lines in this whole four miracles is this and he gave them permission they needed his permission to do something and he gave them permission and when the demons came out of the man they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned and when those turning the pigs saw what had happened they ran off reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had been had gone out. Instead of begging now, he's sitting. He's in the posture of a learner. He's in the posture of a disciple. He's sitting at Jesus' feet. And he's dressed. And he's in his right mind. He's changed. He's changed. And here's that word again. And they were phobos. And they were fearful. Why? Because they can't explain it. They're afraid. Because what has just happened is to them impossible. And they're out of control. They can't control this situation they can't deny what has happened and they're fearful because jesus has power not only as we saw to command the wind and the waves but to command demons and to change lives verse 36 those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured I'll come back to that word because it's important. And then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them. And that's not the what we would expect. If Jesus just healed this man, you would expect the people to flock and say, Jesus, heal me. And yet we read here, they asked Jesus to leave him because they were overcome with phobos. They were overcome with fear. They were overcome with fear. And so Jesus just got into a boat and he left. 
And the man from whom the demons had gone out, he begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, go home to that place you haven't been in a long time. Go home and tell literally to relate fully, to describe in detail. Go home and describe in detail how much God has done for you. And so the man went away and told, and that word is the the word herald. He was in, in, in a way the town crier. He told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Hear ye, hear ye. This is what Jesus has done for me. He's heralding the good news of all that Jesus has done for him. Now, note, it's not all the things that Jesus had done. It's specific. It's personal. Here is what Jesus has done for me. For me. You saw me as that man naked and living in the tomb out of my mind. And then Jesus came up, and here I am, cured, clothed, sound mind. This is what Jesus has done for me. Fourth story. Oh, sorry, third story. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. So compare that with the crowd before who kicked him away. These guys are welcoming him. Why? Well, because they were expecting him. And a man named Jairus, who was a synagogue leader, so he's a significant religious leader in this area, came and fell at Jesus' feet, like the demon-possessed man. Here is this synagogue leader now falling at Jesus' feet, petitioning him, begging him, pleading him to come to his house. Because his only daughter, a girl who's about 12, was dying. It wasn't looking good. She was dying. And as Jesus made his way to this house, the crowds were almost crushing him. You can imagine being in a crowd of like 10,000 people and you're in the middle and you just feel claustrophobic. There's people around you. You can't see the sunlight. It's just crazy. And a woman was there who was subject to bleeding for 12 years. She couldn't stop bleeding. But no one could heal her. She'd gone to the doctors, she'd gone to different places, all the different remedies, and no one could do anything for her. And she came up behind Jesus in the midst of this massive crowd, and she touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately, immediately, her bleeding of 12 years stopped. And Jesus turns around, who touched me? And everyone in the whole crowd is crowding around, denied it. No, it wasn't me, Lord. It wasn't me, Lord. It wasn't me. No, it wasn't me. And Peter said, Master, you know, the people are crowding around and pressing around you. You know, everyone's touching you. But for Jesus, there was something different. It wasn't just a a touch because you're just crowding around. Someone intentionally touched me. Someone intentionally put out their hand in faith and touched me, believing that I could do something. Someone touched me 
I know the power has gone from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling. And again, here we see this phrase, fell at his feet. And in the presence of everyone around, she told why she touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And again, that healed word that we talked about. And then Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. What's healed her? Her faith has healed her. Her faith in the fact that Jesus can do what the seemingly impossible thing to do, the fact that she trusted that if she just touched Jesus' cloak, that he had the ability to make something happen. Her faith led to healing and led to peace. Peace in the midst of great anxiety, I'm sure, bleeding for 12 years, and all of a sudden it's gone. It's gone. And here we come to the fourth story. While Jesus was still speaking to this woman, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, that significant religious leader whose daughter was dying. And what's the message? Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. It's like the the phrase that the disciples used. You know, we're done for Jesus. You know, we're gone. We're finished. We're toast. We're done. We're going to drown. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. There's nothing he can do because she's gone now. She's gone. Just let him let him go off and do something else. She's gone. And hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, and I can imagine he eyeballed Jairus at this point. He said, Jairus, look here. Don't be the phobos. Don't be afraid. Don't be a phobia. Don't have a fear. Don't fear. And here is this little Greek word that just changes everything. Just. Just. Don't fear, but just. Only alone. The single thing you need to do, Jairus, don't fear, just believe. The sole thing you need to do, Jairus, Jairus, you're listening to me, just believe. Jairus, the most important thing you can do right now is not be afraid, but it's simply to believe. To believe. To believe. Out of all the options, faith alone leads to healing and saving. Out of all the options, faith is the one option that leads to healing and saving. Faith is the single thing, the sole thing, the only thing that leads to healing and saving. That's what Jesus says. He says, don't be phobia. Don't have a fear. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Trust that I can do impossible. And she will be 
Now, is that a blanket statement for every single person who needs healing? No, Jesus specifically eyeball to eyeball with Jairus and saying, Jairus, I can do something here. I just need you to trust me. And if you trust me, I'm going to do this for you. Again, that's not a blanket statement for everybody. But what it does point out is that Jesus does care immensely and that he is able to do incredible things if we trust him. Don't be afraid. Don't have a phobia. Simply, solely, the one thing you need to do is believe. And she will be healed. And again, we're going to talk about that healing word in a second. And when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James. And these three guys are like the three musketeers. These are the three pinnacle people in Jesus' disciples. They're the top three guys. So he's the top three, Peter, James, and John, and the child's father and mother. So there's six people in the room if you include Jesus. And meanwhile, all the other people, apart from the six, were wailing and mourning for her. And then Jesus says in the midst of this incredibly sad, grief-stricken moment where a 12-year-old girl has died, Jesus says, stop wailing. Just stop it. She's not dead. She's asleep. And they laugh at him. Imagine laughing at Jesus. They laugh at him because they know that she's dead. In their frame of mind, once you're dead, you're dead. And yet, we see here something incredibly beautiful, verse 54. But, as in, in comparison to the people knowing that she's dead, but Jesus acts and he takes her by the hand, this 12-year-old girl, and he says to her, my child which is really a symbol of identity. You're my child. You're a child of God. My child, get up. It's a command. He's issuing a command like he did with the wind and the waves, like he did with the demons. You know, get up. And her spirit returned. And at once, she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Why? Well, it's just to prove that she is actually alive. She could just be all floppy. But if she eats something, obviously she's alive. And her parents were astonished. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Jesus has authority over the wind and the waves. They're listening out for him. Jesus has authority over demons and unclean spirits. They need his permission. Jesus has authority over the human body. And Jesus has authority over death. You know, the wind and the waves, they're under his command. The demons and evil spirits are under his command. The human body is under his command. Death is under his command. So why do we find it so hard to trust? Well, the simple reality is we find it so hard to trust because it's not under our command. Because we don't have authority over the wind and the waves. And so we're, when we're in the wind and the waves, we fear. And we don't have any command over impure spirits. 
or demons or any of that stuff. And so when we are having a rough day and when the negative thoughts are coming and when we're thinking about things that we ought not to think about in terms of death and other things, we fear because we're not in control of those things. And when we are sick, when we do need healing, we fear. Do you know why? Because we're not in control of those things. We don't have the outcome. And when death is present, as it has been for my pop in the last two weeks, you know, when death is knocking at the door, we do fear. Why? Because we have no control over the amount of days we spend on this planet Earth. You know? My pop said to me, one of the other last things he said to me is, Cam, the Lord determined the moment of my conception and the Lord will determine the moment of my death. Not anyone else. It's the Lord. And I loved the example that Pop gave me that as he was approaching death, there was a sense of faith in him that he knows that he's his. He knows that he's God's child. And he knows that the Lord determined his, the moment he came into the earth, the Lord will determine the moment he comes out of the earth. And he trusts in that, that it's in the Lord's timing. What a comparison that is between someone who is fearful of death. But I said I would come back to this phrase, cured or healing. And I come back to it because it's such an interesting phrase. It's the Greek word sozo. And it means to save, to keep from harm, to preserve, to rescue, to make well, to deliver from evil, to make well physical affliction. It's a sense of averting some danger that threatens life. It's that sense of where, where there's no immediate danger, you know, mentioned to keep or to preserve. It can mean to rescue someone from death. It can mean healing of the whole person, not just the, not just the ailment, but notice the woman in the third story. She was healed, but then what did she have? He said, go in peace. There's a sense that not only her body was healed, but her relationship with God, if it needed healing, would be healed. There's a sense that she can go in peace and not anxiety. So the question is, how should we respond? How should we respond? And I think that's a great, great question. In each of these stories, we see people falling at the feet of Jesus. And they fall at Jesus' feet because they recognize that there's something in him that changes things. There's something in him that is authoritative. The demon-possessed man, Jairus, this woman, they recognize something in Jesus that can change things. Notice as well the change between the man who was falling at Jesus' feet and then sat at Jesus' feet. There was a sense that when, we, when he'd experienced the work of God, that now he wanted to know Jesus in a personal way. He wanted to know him and invest in that relationship. He wanted to follow where he went. And so on one hand, the question is, are we falling at the feet of Jesus? Are we surrendering our lives to him? 
Do we trust that he can do incredible things if we trust him? And if we have experienced the incredible things that Jesus is doing, we're, we're invited to invest in that relationship. But Jesus desires not just to save us from harm, but he invites us to follow him, to sit at his feet and listen to him. Know that phrase again. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Are we present to God in prayer? You know, the lady in the third story, she was healed because she was present to God and that she was active in her faith. Are we present to God in prayer? Are we showing up? Is our dependency on him visible? Are we falling down before him? Are we asking God for help as a sign of our dependency on him? Or are we managing Jesus, if we want to summarize it, might say this, I will do great things, or I can do great things, predicated on faith and dependency and prayerfulness. For those who didn't want him to be any part of their community or life, he said, okay. He turned around and got back on that boat. And for those who welcomed him, for those who leaned in, you know, he changed them. He changed their lives. He changed their story. He changed their future. And there's that invitation for you and me today. So today, are you going to choose fear? Or faith? Just faith. Are you going to choose phobia? Or are you going to choose faith? That's the invitation today. May the Lord bless you. I'll chat to you soon. If today's message evoked anything in you and you'd like to talk or pray with one of our pastors, please get in touch by phone or email. All of our details can be found at albertpark.org.au. We worship together in person 10am every Sunday at 115 Kerford Road, Albert Park. All are welcome. We look forward to seeing you soon.